Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day that you have given us, a day that is called the Lord's Day, a day to worship you in truth and spirit. We pray, Father, that your spirit would meet with us and guide us into truth as we study it this morning so that we would have an understanding of your word and rightly apply your word to our life. We continue to pray for the salvation of sinners, especially through this time, that you would be pleased to work in the life of those who have questions about what is going on. And I pray, Father, that you would bring many to know Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would understand that plagues such as what's happening in our day and time is a judgment from you to cause people to come to see that you are our God and that they need a Savior. All of this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me again to Mark chapter 13, and we will pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago as Jesus is talking to the disciples and explaining to the disciples what is going to happen in the near future. So Mark chapter 13, and we'll begin reading with verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the time is not yet. For nations will rise up against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourself, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand, or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brethren, will betray brothers to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. We've seen that as Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives with the disciples, He instructs them about the future events that are going to take place. They've asked him the question, when will these things be? What will be the signs when all these things will be fulfilled? So we see that Jesus is answering the question of the disciples. And it seems very obvious to me that he is speaking about the immediate future within the next 40 years. But as stated before, there are good Bible teachers who have disagreed over this. And one of the reasons why many of them disagree is what is said there in verse 10. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Now this morning I'm not going to address that particular verse because it would take a little while to do so. And we have a lot to cover, so I will address it in a future sermon. So many think that Jesus is speaking about a long time off thousands of years before these things would actually happen. 
Now, it is challenging to know exactly where the immediate context ends and the future context begins. Hal Lindsey, who began to write books in the 1970s, dealt with end times, and I've mentioned that before. And he made all kinds of predictions about Jesus' return, as well as others who hold to the dispensational premillennial view. And Jesus is speaking prophetically. Now, of course, when he speaks prophetically, we have a difficult time sometimes understanding what he is referring to, especially what we see there in verses 24 and 25 when he speaks about the sun being darkened and the moon will not give light. The stars of heaven will fall and powers in heavens will be shaken. But this isn't the first time such language has been used in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see that such language is used. So therefore, if we consider that language that is used in the Old Testament, then it helps us to understand what Jesus is saying. But we must keep in mind that Jesus is answering a specific question asked him by the disciples. And he doesn't want them to be ignorant of the things that are going to happen in their lifetime. In their mind, if the temple was destroyed, then that would be the end of the second age. They could not fathom a life without the temple. The temple was at the very center of the Jewish religion. For a Jew, there was only two ages. There was the age of the coming of the Messiah, and then there was the age after the coming of the Messiah. So these two ages constituted all of history. And the temple would remain in the second age, is what their mindset was. Therefore, to hear Jesus say that the temple would be destroyed, they wrongly concluded that the world was about to come to an end, that everything was going to end, and therefore the Messiah would return. But the same thing continues to happen in our lifetime as well. In other words, there are those who make wrong conclusions, just like the disciples made wrong conclusions. Many have made wrong conclusions about Christ and his return. Many have predicted that Jesus would come back at a certain time, and we know that they have been wrong. Scripture clearly teaches us that no one knows, not even the Son, as is spoken of there in verse 32. Many spend much too long discussing the signs of the time. And these same people, they cannot even explain the essential doctrines of the Bible. For instance, if you were to ask one of them to talk to you about the substitutionary atonement or the active and passive life of Christ, they would have a difficult time explaining these things to you, but yet they could give you a chart of the end times. So we must be careful when we study prophecy. We should not be as dogmatic about last things as we are on the inerrancy of Scripture. Most Reformed men that I know have changed their views on last things as they continue to study Scripture. Now, one thing for sure, we should never set a date for the return of Jesus. But yet many have done exactly that throughout history. 
There are some churches that even require that you hold to their particular view of last things, even to have church membership. Now, whatever position that we hold, we must humbly hold it, for we might have to finally admit that we were wrong. I recently heard one man say, I'm not against changing my mind while in midair. And that might be our case. But we have to make sure that Scripture is what directs us as far as what we believe. Now, there have been many false predictions made since Jesus Christ spoke these words. Let me mention a few of them. In the second century, Arrhenius predicted that Jesus would return in the year 500. Of course, we know that that did not happen. And then there are those who predicted that Jesus would return in the year 1000. Of course, when did he not return in the year 1000? They changed it to 1033 A.D. Of course, they had to figure in that Jesus lived to where he was approximately 33 years old, and they thought that it would return in the even year of 1000. And of course, again, a no-show. John Wesley foresaw the millennial beginning in 1836, he wrote that Revelations 12:14 refers to 1058 to 18:36 when Christ shall return. Again, a no-show. And then Pat Robinson said the tribulation would come about in 1982. He said with the Soviet Union invasion of Israel, and then it would be followed by Christ's return. How Lindsay said that Jesus' words meant that he would return 40 years after Israel became a nation in 1948, which would have been 1988. And many held that position. Matter of fact, there was a book written before that, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. I guess all 88 reasons were wrong. And then in 1975, J. Van P. wrote, The Soviet Union flag will fly over Independence Hall in Philadelphia by 1976. Harold Camping, who was reformed, predicted September 2, 1994 as a return, and he revised it in September to September 29th. And then he revised it again to October 2nd. Finally, he changed it in 2005 and said that it would happen in May 21st, 2011. And then again changed it to October the 21st. Later, he repented of all of that and said no one should try to predict the date when Christ would return. We're thankful that he finally came to that decision before he died. Jerry Falwell said in 1992, I do not believe there will be another millennial for another century. And of course, he was wrong as well. Now, the last five individuals that I mentioned would all say that they were evangelicals. So I'm not even including the false claims made by those who we would call as heretics, such as Charles Russell and Herbert Armstrong. Charles Russell, of course, over the Jehovah Witnesses, predicted that Christ would return 
and he often missed it. He said, first of all, in 1878, then he changed it to 1881, then he changed it to 1914, and then he changed it to 1918. Of course, he missed on all of them. Herbert Armstrong had just as many predictions 1935, 1943, 1972, and 1975. Afterwards, he was careful not to set any more dates, but then he claimed that Jesus would return before he died. He died in 1986. My main point in mentioning all of these predictions and all of these misses is so that we would be warned not to listen to such predictions about Jesus Christ, or even ask such questions as when we would think that the end would come. Because Scripture clearly teaches us that no one knows but the Father. So we must heed those words and keep them in mind when we talk about last things. We must be careful in approaching this subject. For godly men have made embarrassing mistakes in making predictions. False predictions do great damage to the cause of the gospel. So we must keep that in mind. We must not do anything that would cause the gospel to be damaged. And we know that predictions will discredit other things that should be believed. We know that we have been living in the last days... For those days started when Jesus Christ entered into this world, born of a virgin as the God-man, lived, died, and ascended to the Father's right hand. He himself ushered in what we call the last days. And we know that he will return. And the last days will end. And we will be with him forever and ever in a new world and new heaven. Now, second, we see that the disciples asked Jesus, when will these things be? What will be the signs when all these things will be fulfilled? So keep in mind that Jesus is answering this question. He gives a time frame reference point. Now, when the destruction of the temple will take place is what he's answering. And we have seen in previous sermons that verse 30 helps us immensely. Verse 30 says, Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So therefore, it seems that he is stating that this will occur in the lifetime of these apostles. And I believe that this particular verse is a key to understanding this truth. Because it's very clear and it's very helpful to us. Now notice also that Jesus begins with the word, surely. Which, of course, can be translated, amen. Which means what? What means it is true. So Jesus begins by saying, amen. And the one that speaks this is saying, now listen, this is truth, it's very important, so therefore listen up, hear me, take note of what I'm about to say. I'm about to state state something that is very truthful and you need to know. But then he says, I say to you, 
Now remember, who is this speaking? This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not mere man. This is the God-man. This is the prophet himself. This is the Messiah speaking. And what does he say? Well, he says to them that he is speaking truth to those who need to hear it. Now, there are those who try to say that Jesus is speaking about a future generation of Jews, that he's speaking about the Jewish race when he mentions generation. Now, this word can be translated to mean that. This Greek word, though, is never used in the gospel in this particular way. Some say that Jesus is talking about a generation that is to come one day. But notice what he says there. He says this generation. He doesn't say that generation. Now, of course, a generation normally is 40 years. And this is often revealed throughout the Old Testament. We see in Mark chapter 9, verse 19, Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he says there in verse 19 of chapter 9, He answered and said to them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So he speaks to them. He's speaking of that generation. He's not speaking to a future generation. We see this also in Matthew chapter 23, verse 36. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So in both of those passages, Jesus is speaking to that particular generation just as he's doing here. So Jesus is saying, your generation will see these things take place. It will be happening within 40 years is more or less what he's saying. He spoke these words around 30 to 31 A.D. And there's no doubt that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Now, one truth that this reveals to us is that Jesus is the prophet. What he predicts came true, exactly what he stated. And we have to continue to realize everything that Jesus spoke was truth. Every time he opened his mouth, it was inerrant. Every word he spoke comes to truth. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me but through me. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now the majority of the Jews rejected Christ. And the result of rejecting him, what happened? When 70 AD they received judgment. Likewise, we must heed the words of Christ and obey the words of Christ or we will end up just like these Jews under judgment for rejecting Christ. We all love John 3.16, and rightly so, for God so loved the world that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But most people do not continue to read. Notice what it says in verse 18 and 19. He who believes is in Him not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Every single person needs to seriously consider the words of Christ, for these words will come true. He came to save sinners. He calls sinners to come to Him, to flee from the wrath that is coming. And all who reject Him will remain under the wrath of God. Why would anyone foolishly remain under the wrath of God? Well, the only answer is because they are blind, because they love darkness rather than the light. May we pray that God would open their eyes so that they would flee from the darkness to the light, so that they might flee to Christ as Lord and Savior. Third, Jesus gives them things to look to so that they will know when the destruction of the temple is near. But before telling them this, look at what he says. He first gives them a warning there in verse 5 when he says to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now this is of utmost importance. For most people are prone to be deceived about unfulfilled prophecy. Many preachers unintentionally deceive people about prophecy. Just as I mentioned all of these particular dates that preachers preached on and said the world was going to end. They truly believed that that's when the world would end. They themselves were deceived and they deceived their followers. So Jesus tells the disciples to be on their guard, to be watchful against such teachings. Likewise, we must be wise. We must not be deceived about these things. We must be Bereans. We must search the Scriptures to make sure what is taught is true. So He tells them that some will come claiming to be the Messiah. And others will claim that they have been sent by the Messiah in His name. And they will seek to have a hearing among the people and they will seek to deceive God's people. Now there's many records, both in scripture and historical writings, of this happening. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. Notice he says it is the last hour. We're not going to address that now, but keep that in mind, that it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Now false Christ were in the world at this particular time and that's what John is writing about. He's saying that these individuals have come on the scene and they're saying that they are the Christ, that Christ has returned and therefore follow them. We see in chapter 8 of Acts that there was a man named Simon who was a sorcerer and he claimed to be one of great powers and he did miraculous miracles. But Peter exposed him and Peter warned him to pray that God might have mercy on him and deliver him from his sinfulness. Historical records reveal to us that Simon claimed to be the Christ. 
Historical writers confirm that many other men claimed to be the Christ during this particular time. But Jesus states that when you see these things happening, the end is not yet. Notice what Jesus says. The end is not yet when you see these things happening. As a matter of fact, these things mark the beginning, not the end. As he says there in verse 7, that the end is not yet. Now in verse 7 through 9, Jesus speaks of wars, earthquakes, political upheavals, persecution. But all of these things are spoken of, and these are the beginning of the sorrow, not the end of the sorrow. It amazes me today that people began to observe certain things that happen in our society today, and they think that this is the end. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said this is the beginning of those things, and those things were beginning at this particular time. Before and after Jesus walked on this earth, Rome prided itself in its peace. They allowed the nations that they conquered to keep their religion and continued to worship in their own way. And they promised that if they were submissive, that they would be promised peace. Now, after Jesus ascended into heaven, things began to change drastically. There were uprisings among different groups, especially among the Syrians and the Jews. They began to war against one another. And in AD 40, the emperor, Calagra, erected a statue of himself in the temple. And he demanded that the Jews worship him. Of course, the Jews refused to do so. And as a result of this, there were rumors of war in all that was taking place. And we see that he died in A.D. 41. But various Jewish zealots began to rise up and they vowed to never allow this to happen again. And of course, eventually, Jewish war broke out in A.D. 67. Also, there were earthquakes, famine, and troubles at this time. Josephus tells us about great earthquakes that happened in 67 A.D., just before the Roman army came up against Jerusalem. He says, For there broke out a prodigious storm in the night, with the utmost violence and very strong winds, with the largest shower of rain, with continuous lightning, terrible thundering, and amazing concussions bellowed winds of the earth that was in an earthquake. Now just before 70 A.D., with the destruction of the temple, earthquakes were recorded in Creed, in Smyrna, in Miletus, in Laodicea, in Colossae, Rome, Pompeii, in other cities at that particular time. In 1897, the historian J.C. Elcott wrote, Perhaps no period in world history has ever been so marked by these convulsions as they were in the intervals between the crucifixion and the destruction of Jerusalem. Earthquakes happened. But again... It was not the end. It was the beginning. It was a sign that the end was in the future, but yet not. 
Now, there were also famines and trouble. In Acts chapter 11, Agabus predicted severe famine, which took place again during the reign of Claudius. Historians tell us of other famines in A.D. 50 and 60, as well as great plagues that took place. The Roman historian Tagatus tells us of plagues that devastated Rome. He says the houses were full of corpse and the streets were full of funerals. Verse 9 mentions the persecution of believers. Of course, all you have to do is go to the book of Acts and you see the persecution of many believers. Beginning there in Acts, we see, first of all, Stephen was stoned to death. And then Peter and John were beaten and told no longer to preach the gospel. James was beheaded by Herod. And of course, in Acts chapter 8, we are told about the great persecution. And of course, Paul was the one that led the persecution against Christians and put them in prison and also had them put to death. But then God saved Paul and Paul himself was in prison and persecuted and eventually his head was taken off. For three and a half years, from 64 to 67 AD, Nero had thousands of Christians put to death. He would hunt them down and then he would capture them and he would bring them into his uh Colosseums and used them for sports. He would cover them also with pitch and then tie them to a pole and set them on fire at his garden parties. In verse 12, it tells us how family members would betray one another. Paul himself speaks of this in, Act, in uh, 2 Timothy 1.15 when he states that all those in Asia have turned from him. So we see that all of these things that Jesus mentions, these wars, earthquakes, political upheavals, plagues, persecution, troubles, and betrayals, all of them happened over these next 40 years before the fall of the temple. But again, I remind you what Jesus said, that they were the beginning of the sorrows, which of course were pointing to the end. So we must not be deceived. Now today, we are bombarded with those who say that the signs of the times are occurring. Just two weeks ago, I heard a particular pastor preaching and stating that the coronavirus was part of the plagues that were predicted there by Jesus in this particular chapter and that these plagues must occur before the end. Now, when you hear someone say something like this, we must remember the words of Jesus. Do not be deceived. These signs were the beginning, not the end. They pointed to the future destruction of the temple. These signs were not given as signs for end of the world, but they were given for the sign of the destruction of the temple. Now let me close by making some practical application of these verses. First of all, it is easy to be misled concerning prophecy. So we must be careful when we come to prophecy. 
when we hear preacher talking about that they know exactly what a particular passage means, we must be very careful so that we do not bring embarrassment upon ourselves or embarrassment upon the gospel. A person does not know the exact time when Christ will return. Second, these things mentioned took place in the first century. The Bible records it. Historians record it. But, of course, they do foreshadow future judgment. These truths are mentioned and will continue throughout history, and we must remember that. Third, do not think that any Christian will escape tribulation and persecution in this world. There are those who believe that the last days that Christian will not go through any tribulation. They'll be raptured and they will be spared any kind of persecution. That goes against what the scripture teaches us. Christians have always been persecuted and I believe that they will be persecuted in the future. Now, I'm not saying that persecution will be worse in the future. I'm simply saying that there will be persecution that we will endure. Matter of fact, I believe that the scripture tells us that we will suffer like our Lord and we will be tempted to fall away. But we have Christ living in us, his spirit living in us. So therefore, we will be able to persevere. What was it that caused Paul to cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord before he lost his head? What was it that caused Peter to choose to be crucified upside down instead of denying the faith? What was it caused many Christians throughout the kingdom to remain faithful unto death? Read the book of Fox Martyrs and see how hundreds of Christians died in the faith. Why? Because they had experienced true biblical salvation. They knew Christ personally. It was not this easy believism that we see in our day and time. It was those who counted the cost. They wanted Christ more than life. They chose to die rather than to deny Christ. Therefore, they confessed Jesus Christ to the end. They chose death by the grace of God. This is why Paul could say, For me to live as Christ but to die is game. How many of us are so caught up in this modern American mindset, this superficial way of thinking about Jesus Christ, that we may be willing to confess Christ as long as everything is going our way, as long as everything is okay. But what happens when a crisis comes, when life is threatened? When we are pressured to forsake Jesus Christ as our Lord in a number of ways, maybe by our boss or by our family or by our friends or someone else, what do we do when we are told not to speak the name of Jesus Christ at work or some social event? How do we respond when someone uses the name of Christ in vain in our presence? How do we respond when someone tells a joke that belittles the Christian faith in our presence? Has your life been so radically changed that you're willing to count the cost no matter what? If not, may God be pleased to do such a work in your life this day. The disciples eventually were put to the test. 
And they heard eventually these words of their Lord, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. May we all long to hear those words from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ one day in the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture which warns us about a coming judgment. Just like the judgment that the disciples and many in their day would face. We pray, Father, that we would look to the future and know that you are in control, that you know the time, and that you have planned the time for your in your providence, and that you will bring it about in a manner that is pleasing best to you. Help us, Father, not to worry about that day as far as trying to judge when it is, but for us to be concerned about those that do not know Jesus Christ and that we would press upon them the truth of the gospel and call them to flee to Christ so that they might be saved. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.